Hello, welcome again to Sport Unlock, going through the week's sports news with me, Rob Harris, Martin Ziegler from the Times, Tarek Panja from the New York Times, and this week, a special guest, the head of the Norwegian FA, Lisa Claverness. Lisa, welcome to Sport Unlocked. Thank you so much. So nice to be here. Busy time for you at the moment as you're running for election for the UEFA Executive Committee. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't really got the full perspective of uh, of the workload I've added on <laughs> because the workload was, you know, uh, as for all, that was big from the, from the start of it. But we're we're very motivated to try and to learn. Lisa, what, what, why... Um... Do you do you want to be on on the UEFA Executive Committee? And can you do you have an idea of what it actually does? Because I think a lot of our listeners see these people arrive in in the expensive cars, head into nice um, hotels, have meetings, uh, get a load of money, and leave. Uh, so so what what's your motivation to do it? Yeah, well, the opposite of what you just said. You to me to me, it's a board. You know, I'm I'm a president in Norway, and, and it's a, a board leader. I'm I'm the I'm chairing the board of, of the Norwegian Federation, and and uh, we have real discussions in in our board. You know, where we actually decide together the Norwegian Football Federation's decisions. Uh, and um, my motivation to go into the exco is definitely to to be part of decisions, to to be contributor to decisions, to be prepared, uh, you know, for the for the game, uh, to protect the game. It sounds like a cliche, but it's it's not. I'm from the technical department, so so to me, it's very operational. Like I come from the players' perspective, the game's perspective. I know how the stakeholders are in in the sport with the coaches and all the interests clashing. So uh, and also for of course for the future going into a very geopolitical stressful time with the deglobalization and a lot of pressure. I, I find it very important to have bridge builders uh, and people that can lean into difficult discussions. And 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 the last thing is to be a really you know fighter and and a protector of of the football for all. Uh, small countries uh, contributing in the in the in the big big world and and in the football for all also for uh, girls and boys and I I find that a core value of the football so I don't know if if that's the dynamics of the board but I think it's very important that we take responsibility we that are on post now uh, take responsibility to to. D- to call upon that, to, I I find Sheffer in the, the how I look him from from a bit outside. I know I don't know him that well that he has been strong and operational in very important cases and 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 um, uh, and that uh, UEFA can be uh, a place where it's not just expensive cars and it should not be expensive cars at all. It should be a place where decisions are made upon well prepared and by well prepared and knowledgeable people. And we saw you gain huge prominence last year when you spoke up at the FIFA Congress in Doha about human rights and issues within Qatar. Of course, played more than 70 times for Norway as well. So you've got that experience on the pitch and now off it as well. And also you'd be one of the very few female representatives on a confederation governing body as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, I, I come I come from the sport. I I I was very passionate player. Had the the ball with to my bed literally, you know, for for five years to funerals and 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 to you know in Norway we have confirmations where we celebrate that we're adults or whatever. And I had the ball with me with my Norwegian, you know, bunad. It's a it's a costume. So I I was weird with that. It was a passion, but. 
um, it's it's a symbol also how I I do my work now that uh, the game is when we talk about Qatar human rights whatever uh, it's. Uh, it's very important that we come from the game and out. We should not not, not ever be used from political agendas and in. One of the big stories of the week, we had the IOC meeting for their executive board and it looks like they are open now to Russian athletes competing at the Paris Olympics. There had been calls particularly from Ukraine to exclude Russians completely, but they are open to Russians competing as neutrals if they have not been associated with the war. This is really one of the most complex areas, isn't it, for football to deal with this week? UEFA telling the Russians effectively their teams have to stay excluded from competitions. How do you see it? Should the Russians be at the Olympics? As a case, it's of course very, very different, difficult because sports should, you know, really, really be a place where you not unite people and, and not not cliche wise, not because of money, not because Putin is friend with this and that. You know, we we should be proud to say that we invite everyone to our fields. Uh, uh, and, and, and that should not be a political statement. That should be... When we go in now into a geopolitical era where it's deglobalization and, and the football should answer, but we will... You say should still play against China. Iran should still play against whatever. Uh, but this, this case is very different, difficult now, I find. You know, if we could trust the motives of IOC and, 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 and their relations... It would be easier, uh, but we can't. I, I have no foundation to point at anyone, but I do not, at least. So to me, it, I have the feeling that it's more to it. It's it's agendas uh, that that um, neutrality can still be card-carrying the set support, you know, and, and uh, uh, the timing now is horrible. So, so we're not there, I think, and... And um, it, from a philosophical, what's it called, philosophical, philosophical point of view, uh, it's 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 not right or wrong anything. But we are solidaric with Ukraine now, and to now take them in, I I'm very afraid will be used as a brutal way in a propaganda way by Kremlin. Uh, just to follow up on on what Lisa was saying, we've talked about this the dynamics of the ioc from from the start of the war which sadly is about to hit a year mark soon um it's, things have only got worse since um the invasion if you look at the the kind of uh rhetoric the the the, the what's happening on the ground nothing really has changed for the better in a year yet the ioc seems to have softened its tone towards uh, Russia vis-a-vis -vis the Olympics. And guys, um, if listeners are listening, you only have to go back to what we said would happen. This is exactly what was going to happen. The IOC was talking tough because at the time there was no real IOC competitions to worry about. So you, it's easy to ban somebody from nothing. And now uh, here we are, the start of the uh, potential qualification competitions. And we have the language rolling back, as we have seen with the IOC and Russia since the um, doping scandal and the various tremors from that. And here we are again, guys. Martin, Rob, exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, I, there's no, no surprises for us. That's for sure that, that we, we kind of expected this to happen um, once the qualifying competitions for Paris started. The... Uh, 
interesting thing, I think, is, is how other countries react. So actually, Gerhard Heiberg, who's former ISE member from, from Norway, he, he spoke to one of my colleagues on The Times last month and, and said, you know, there's a real chance that Ukraine and its neighbours could actually boycott Paris. Um, certainly, Ukraine's made that clear this week, um, that if, if Russian athletes are allowed to compete as neutrals, Ukraine would boycott. So that would be a really tricky thing for the IOC to deal with, I think. Um, but they are. it looks like there's no, there's no stopping them now. Um, they said that governments aren't going to dictate who, uh, how, you know, who who competes in in the games, and everything they've said is pointing to Russians being there in Paris. And we've seen at the Australian Open tennis how supporters can harness Russian athletes and players being there, wearing Z T-shirts, waving Russian flags. We even had Djokovic's father was did a video with a a pro-Russian YouTuber. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. Lisa, is this one of these concerns you've flagged up there, issue within the IOC, the close relations that we've seen over so many years with Thomas Bach, with Putin, with Gianni Infantino, with Putin, and now we're seeing actually that indulging of Russia had consequence in elevating their status, making them sort of seem untouchable, maybe, even in the sense you didn't get significant bans for the doping scandals, then obviously far graver matters in terms of fully invading a neighbour. And at the heart of it, you had Thomas Bach and Gianni Fantino enjoying that close association with Putin, even after the annexation of Crimea. Yeah, I, I find this, uh, you know, f- from a value point and a basic humanity point and, and, and a motivation point, I really, really believe that football should should be a place you know where where you you play when it's war you know when when i think about you know israeli youth russian youth iran i i see kids you know i see 15 year olds playing uh football you know and and this should never be you know clichés that politicians and football say and we should be believed in that that's our biggest task to include muslims uh, christian gay uh, to me, to me, it's it's really important. So, so, so I, I'm a bit sad that I do support the the exclusion of the Russian athlete now. I do support that it should continue for a bit longer, uh, but I'm very sad that it's not because it's a, a very based with the trust I have for the organizations myself, and uh, not this and this person, uh, but the structure that we have mixed authority leaders, dictators, with, with our own leaders too much so that you can never really trust that the agenda is to include not Gazprom or what, but the youth. Uh, so we have to build up our own trust so that we in the future, because this is going to be more and more in the future, that more and more deglobalization. And we should not be like populists saying that we're so strong, we do not play against China, we do not play against South Africa. Yes, we should play against all these teams but for the right reasons we can we have to be large humanitarian of course not naive so i find this case very very important but now i find that we are a bit tied to our hands we we to take them in again now will be used and perceived in a way that will not serve the sport as i see it now just a loophole as well that should be mentioned well um some european nations or there's a risk that there'll be a boycott as far as the IOC are concerned in, in the qualification. There might be um, some salvation for Russia because the Olympic Council of Asia 
has said it would allow Russian athletes to compete in its events, including perhaps the Asian Games, which are about to to start in in or will start in China, which is a qualification route as well. So, you know, as as you say, Lisa, it's it's a sports not supposed to be politics, but in reality, all of a lot of these nations completely use um, sport as the crucible for these uh, political issues, or or, or to, to to show a particular. Uh, a posture. Lisa, can I ask you a small anecdote? Because you were there and I was really interested in this. We we met in, in Doha actually on that day, but you were you were relatively guarded because the talks were still going on. You were up there on the second floor of that pirate ship style hotel there in Lucille with um FIFA's executive um on the Sunday, I believe. Um just before the the, uh, the the nations that wanted to wear the um, armband, the One Love armband, were 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 about to kick off, and I heard it was it completely collapsed. Um, can you can you tell me what happened on that Sunday with FIFA? Fatma Samura, the general secretary, was there. Other FIFA officials. What what happened? Yeah, it was a special experience. It was, you know, on game day or the game, day before game day. Normally, you know, we, we don't have a team there. So so we, I and we try to be be a bit, you know, uh, humble to the fact that we, we are not in this dilemma with, with our team. Uh, but the, the other FAs were there with the, with the general secretaries and presidents on game day and the before game. Which is not normal, as you know. It's it's not procedure. You would you would go to different camps, and uh, so so it was a very extraordinary situation. And it, uh, you know, fronts we we collided, fronts collided, and it was hard against hard, or I would say FIFA put hard against, I guess soft in the end. Then, uh, but uh, uh, so it was. Uh, you know, at some point, fronts do collide, and 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 that can. For media, that can be, you know, the whole story, not you guys, but for some, you know, because you do really thorough work. But for some media, that can just be the full story. But those were just fronts colliding. And and I, I, I try not to put so much into it because uh, we have to see the full picture. But I, wa- I was, and I have to be honest, disappointed with FIFA. Everyone can understand that they're under a lot of pressure. The, the competition is now going. And of course, they cannot have, you know, fractions of the world coming and, you know, forcing different kits or, you know. But this was reported three months before. It was not very controversial. And I think everyone could see that it was a bit important from a value perspective, given the debate. I think it was a bit accepted by Qatar. It had, it was very flagged. Everyone knew it, and to then have the hard front on the game day, uh, I found it was a lost opportunity to walk the talk for the universal right, and and that they really played the West against the rest of the world card, uh, which is uh, efficient but dangerous and 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 uh, not not what we should do in football leadership. I think. Does that make you really? concerned about where Gianni Infantino has taken FIFA and how he's led? I, I really I really don't want to point to just one person. I don't know him as a person, you know, but, but he is our leader. So, so, so I have to make it, of course, an exception. He, he is a leader. And, 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 and I, I, I worry that the structures are so known that all leaders will end up in a corrupted way. So not, not money corrupted, but that you will, that we will 
the 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 force and and the power is is too gathered i find on on the president's hand and, and the board is too big and because and then it's not really a decision board and i i have it's the lawyer in me that are very worried for the structure and governance and and one thing to is to change the whole structure which is impossible of course everyone sees that but i think it's small but very important things that we can change and i think countries do agree i do think every country agrees that it should be very transparent where money goes for example and what it's used for not maybe everyone will agree with their own country but i do think they will agree with the other countries and then so 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 i find it very important that the leaders use the opportunity to speak to to really implement the reforms they were elected on uh, and then you have to, of course, choose your tone of voice and what you say very carefully and not go into the West against the East. You know, those really dangerous uh, that these are just, you know, moralism and hypocrisy. And maybe they find some of the media's going there. And, and I do think that was also right, you know, it, on both sides. But it was not the discussions in the room. They were very fair. People wanted to play with the armband that was very integrated with Van Dijk, with with all captains and everyone from technical department as myself know it, it takes time to Im- implement those things with players. So it's it's a careful work. You cannot go in and force it and then to take it off again uh, on game day, then you escalate a value war. And and that was the first time I w- felt that it, w- it was about the rainbow. <laughs> you know, before that, I felt there was a power fight and fair enough, you know, FIFA do decide kit, so it was it was worrying, uh, and I hope it it has to be addressed, and it has to be you know we have to work on this to 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 heal it because it was not good. We saw you at the congress in March, standing up, taking a stand on Qatari rights. What was the fallout from that? Did in the following months did you feel targeted on social media? Any Thing uneasy happened to you? Did people try to sort of put you off being this voice speaking out on, on Qatar? And you know, would you be willing to speak out in other countries, whether it's events going to China and concerns about the Uyghur persecution there? Yeah, I, I think everything happened after that. It was uh, it was intense. It was uh, you know on all all outer points, you know, all, all kinds of negative reactions and all kinds of positive reactions. And so 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 I tried to focus on the positive reactions which were just as much from uh, Nepalese people, from African people, from South American people, um, uh, than, than from Western countries. So, so my intention was en- not to, to be on the barricades for Western values. Uh, I'm, I myself, I'm a very liberal person. I, I, I like immigration. I work for it. I, I, I endorse it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the person that... Uh, I, I really like to learn about other cultures and I, I find it's fair enough to be conservative, but it's not me. So, so, uh, but you have some universal rights that you have to found football upon and that if you don't have teeth to bite with when they're stepped on, you will lose all moral, moral authority and football leadership. So this is what I try to address and, and, and I think it was too hard knocked down uh, by fifa uh, it was un- unnecessary i think or not fifa by but but by but the following speakers and and the silence we met i i found that this could be an opportunity to meet but i must say d- 
throughout the 2022, I, I met a lot of Qataris that travel there with with the UEFA group, but also alone with uh, my federation. And and because Norway, good or bad, we have you know those record of human rights. It's 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 part of our. Sometimes it's righteous and, and and maybe stupid. Sometimes it's really efficient. We we we're small. We 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 have that diplomatic. You know, we raised that way. So, so, so to speak to these countries, uh, smaller countries, uh, has been very interesting. And I have very big respect of so many things of the Qatari culture, and I've learned so much also. And we have, I've had very many conversations about the developments of LGBTQ rights, and it's not difficult to understand their dilemma with the Sharia, and it's very easy to understand. But it's still our job, I think, to 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 push it in the direction that if you want to have mega events in football, you have to find a language to talk about this. You have to find solutions. Uh, now we went into a World Cup without language even. Don't talk about it. It's very dangerous. It's very, uh, you know, you will not be arrested, but you cannot address it. No, okay, fine. <laughs> How can I trust that? You know, so, so but I must say... Uh, the whole World Cup for me ended. I met Hassan Al Tawadi in Qatar. We had one and a half talks on the game day, on the opening day, with uh, with his assistant. Of course, a very official talk, but st- still dialogue on on very important matters. So to me, that is uh, what what's what it's all about. It, I I know it's easy to really ridiculize soft power, but to me, how how else? How else are we gonna? Uh, we have to talk to each other and I, I have big respect for that it's a different culture and, and they have to stick with their culture but I do still think that those universal uh, the human rights policy of FIFA is good and that we have that, that can hit all countries uh, and then we have to have teeth to bite with to have respect for those One of the other big FIFA things at the moment is this push for a 32 team club World Cup do you feel that would be good for football or increase divisions? Or do they seem too focused on a men's club World Cup before even starting a women's yeah, club Yeah, I, I, I do find it very crucial that uh, the, the World Cup every second year is, is, is not a discussion. That, that, that you have the four-year uh, interval is very important. That, I guess, is the most important thing for UEFA because uh, everything else is a kill for Champions League and you're, you're getting back into the Super League discussion. Yeah. Uh, Everything with clubs um, should be very anchored in, in the confederation. Generally, I find that the, the power of, of, of international football should be very focused on confederations. And I do think that we should focus on building the confederation, not just UEFA. Or not, UEFA is very confederation, and they should not be so centralized with FIFA. Uh, and then it should, you know, an initiative to have club World Cup should come from confederations, because I do think. FIFA, if, if they're too innovative, too uh, into their own autonomy, uh, it, it it's such a fragile project, and it's such a you know to to have it as a gathered unity. Uh, I find it it's enough to have the World Cup, the laws of the game, and transfers. It's 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 huge for the world. It's enough, and then build the African Federation. Build, build their own independence. So you asked ask me to answer short, and it's difficult from a person from Bergen. <laughs> it's, uh, but uh, I don't have a short answer. I, I have. I don't want to go in and kill 
the number of teams, but I'm worried that that the the tendency and, and the, the arrow is going in the direction of creating new competition to make the game global, and it's coming from a central body and not from organic discussion between confederations. And I I find that a bit uh, it can be threatening to the whole global uh, project. One that impacts you directly as well, UEFA announcing the changes for Euros, men's qualifying, the Nations League. Is that a good thing for the Norwegian Federation? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I, I think the, the, the Nations League have, has been in general a, a great success. And to have it now also on the women's side, I, I find it's, it's a good idea. And you know how sceptical the countries were when the, the Nations League came in. Uh, and it still has been a very big success. So... so uh, I think we we have tried in Norway and Scandinavia to to, to take a humble position. I, I do I do think it's the most important thing for us is to have respect for our very strong club autonomy. We cannot go into two international periods a year, or uh, you know we have to have you know uh, um, uh, a structure where, especially on the women's side, where a structure where. Uh, you some of them are semi-professionals. They have to be able to work in between the pairs and on the men's side as well. So uh, no, I I, I I quite like the changes, but I, I have to take some re reconsiderations. Maybe maybe there are things that I haven't seen yet and my team haven't seen yet. But I I I I I I, I have trust in FIFA's way of running and Marquette's way of running the competition. He's been pretty bold. And they've done some good stuff on the women's side as well. Uh, so I have a, like a fundamental respect that gives, uh, you know, gives some trust into the work. And then I think they should have some room to act on as well. Developments on, also on the UEFA front um, that they're going to close this sort of loophole um, for their FFP financial fair play calculations. Um, we've seen Chelsea basically signing lots and lots of players on long contracts. I think um, Mudrik, the Ukrainian winger, eight and a half years. And the idea is that, that I think we've talked before that they can um, they can extend the or spread out the, the cost of the transfer over eight and a half years when it comes to FFP calculations. But now UEFA, um, I think a lot of clubs have from other countries have said, look, we can't do this under our national laws. We have a five-year maximum, so they're going to introduce a five-year limit for amortization, as it's called. Do you think it's a sort of shutting the stable door for the horses bolted a bit? Well, certainly in Chelsea's case, because none of those uh, will be targeted by this. So I think there's uh, four, three or four transfers they've got over six years. Um, I can think of... The chap they signed from Leicester way back in the summer, Fafana being one of those. Um, um, it's at least four. Yeah, yeah. Cucharella from Brighton, I think, as well. And, and then yeah. you've got Mudrick on eight and a half. You know, you, and at some point, you what, do you put them on 20-year contracts? You know, uh, it's uh, it's something that seems so obvious to do as well. Um, uh, look, um, UEFA have, have said they're going to close this. Under FIFA's um, rules anyway, um, Contract lengths at the maximum are, are five years, unless unless there's this national law carve out, which I believe there is in England. But but really, none of these players are going to be there for eight years, are they? Or they they re, re, no, very few players remain on the same contract that they signed initially. You know, you, if you're playing well, you're going to be rewarded with a new one, 
and if, and if you're playing badly, you're likely to be moved on, right? So um, I can only think of one, and it's a great Chelsea example of uh, a signing that didn't work for the club in this case. Do you remember Winston Bogard, former Dutch uh, national team player? He came from Barcelona, I think, and it turns out he wasn't very good. And he was on this enormous contract, and they realised after three or four games that this chap, he really isn't any good. And Winston Bogard quickly realised that I'm not going to get a contract like this anywhere I go. So for, the, I think, the last three years of his uh, contract, his career pretty much, he was sat, arrived at training every day, exactly on time, left, um, and refused to move on this big fat contract. Um which is, which is, you know, I guess the big risk of signing someone on an eight-year contract. But it's not going to happen. And in terms of UEFA, Martin, I don't know, FFP and UEFA, sure. Let's see if they can um, uh, close down loopholes. I, I found they've really struggled to tackle any of the big teams historically when it comes to FFP. Um, fine. Yeah. They've, they've said they're going to close this down. How do they police it? Clubs always find a way. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, actually, this is the, this month is the start of the new calculations, isn't it, for UEFA? This new, um, you can only spend a percentage of your revenue on on wages and transfers. So that's that's been the the, the issue. I think it's why Chelsea have done this. Um, I think it's ninety percent for twenty twenty three, and then goes down to eighty, and then down to to, to seventy. Uh, well, just to go back to Winston Bogard, or he wasn't that bad. He's like, played for Holland twenty times. But, well, it t- uh, turned out it wasn't very good when he arrived at Chelsea. <laughs> well, um, he was, maybe his face didn't fit, but anyway, yeah. I think a few different managers. I mean, it was a remarkable situation. Um, yeah, he only played. He only played nineteen times. Uh, nineteen times. Only nine in five years. He only played nine Premier League matches for Chelsea in five years. That is incredible. It's a remarkable thing. Speaking of um, wages and salaries and things like that and UEFA investigations, um, Juventus, Martin, um, this is a huge issue in Italy, massive scandal. The previous board has left, the one that was run by um, Andrea Agnelli, the Super Super League backer. Um, This led to a number of officials being sanctioned. Uh, Pavel Nedved, sporting director at Juventus, great former Czech player, a risk for Tottenham as well. And their sports director, Hatterici, he could be, he's been given a 13-month ban by Italian officials um, and they want that extended worldwide so Tottenham could be in a bit of trouble. And this is over, I guess, in the easiest way of explaining this, is cooking the books. Um, Juventus also is a listed company and it involves... Um, this kind of capital gains from transfers, inflating the value of of of, of player sales and loans, uh, which became really quite common in Italy, but was used to to staggering effect by Juventus. And also, they I think they covered up um, how much of a cut players were taking in their salaries during COVID. It was far less than they seem to be putting in their books. Big big deal, this Martin. Yeah, the I mean, you know, I think it's they've been docked fifteen points, and it could get a lot worse because there's other things which is being investigated now, other financial um, alleged misdealings. This could also spread to other clubs. For example, if they're 
inflating the value of the transfers. They can't do that on their own. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I think there's a couple of like a transfer from Napoli, for example. So if Napoli were sort of going along with this, you know, could they be in trouble as well? This could, this could, this could be a really big thing for Italian football. That's a good point. I remember a year ago when this actually, uh, when the investigation first happened, the, the authorities did say there were a number of clubs, including Napoli, um, and there was, um, you know, almost a hundred transfers across across Syria. Juventus involved with with, uh, with with a lot of them. Um, so yeah, it could definitely spread. And and the other thing that I found quite striking with with the investigation is that the authorities were were involved, and this is higher than than, than football in turn. And and the use of wiretaps were, were involved in this case because we're talking about fraud, I guess. Um, and again, it just reminds me when the authorities get involved, when it's not football investigating itself, things seem to be taken seriously and things seem to happen. Uh, because look, uh, we're comparing Juventus have got this um, 15 point penalty, which they're, they're in the process of appealing and, 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 you know, all manner of other issues related to this. And this was done, I, I remember first writing about it about a year ago. So, all within a year, all this is packaged up and the, and the, the penalties there. And then I look at what's happening, you know, elsewhere. For example, you know, in the in the, in the Premier League, we've got a, a Manchester City investigation into alleged, um, I guess, uh, financial doping, if you want, with links to 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 to, to, to sponsors in the country, which Man City deny or whatever. But five years now, Martin, no sign of that um, ending. And then all manner of FIFA and UEFA investigations that are kind of opaque and kind of in in ethics bodies, uh, never see the light of day sometimes. Lisa, have you decided which which post you're going to run for? Are you going to run for the the the, the women's position on the on the UEFA Exco, or are you going to run for in the general election? Uh, I haven't really decided yet. Uh, my motivation is definitely to run for the open position because uh, because I'm president, and and I think uh, presidents are presidents regardless of of gender. Everybody agrees with this, of course, and 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 of course you you should have mechanism to have uh, uh, diversity. Uh, still, I, I find it a bit difficult to 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 go in, you know, to go in, to put the women up against the women. Uh, and we should. Our time is here now. I think to be at least two women in this board. I I, I find Shefferin, you know, um, a leader that can can uh, definitely be be a leader that can you know catalyst be a catalyst for this change. Uh, and um, so so I, maybe I'm saying too much because I haven't really decided. I get a lot of advice that I should run for the female position. That it's uh, very difficult for the open position, uh, but. Uh, uh, my motivation is very grounded in a in a feeling of responsibility, um, and 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 that the case is is important regardless if I come in or not, you know. So, uh, so I I I I think I will land on 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 the open position and and uh, do not go against the other female other female uh, candidates, but but let's see. Who are you getting this um, advice from? Because what you're saying. To me, is really interesting. You're kind of being pushed towards this this female uh, election. They're saying the other one is too challenging. One, I would say, why? Um, and uh, as you said, you've been a, an FA president for several years. Why would you be shoehorned towards the women's specific um, 
role anyway? Like, well, who are these people advising you to do this and why are they saying that? No, I, I, to me, that that's a lot of people. I, I think it's it's from a tactical point of view that that uh, you know you should get to the table regardless of road in uh, because they know that I, I will be very prepared and uh, engaged as a board. So people that know me would think that it would be good to just come to the to the board and do not think of the way you get in, and 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 I sort of agree with that. But but uh, it is. Um, a big big question uh, as to whether is is it easier that that's the one thing and and then uh, the other one is uh, is it are we not there now that we should at least have two women in uh, not that it I, I i've never worked you know on the barricades for women you know it's always been the game i've always come from the game it's the biggest sport for women in the world as well I, i've always worked with men and women's football I was the first uh, person in Norway to comment men's football Premier League, uh, and uh, and now the first leader for the men's national team, and now the president. And I'm not. That's nothing special. But my point is that when people ask me why are you in the men's game, to me it's a natural question. I'm not. To me, it's really it's really not how I feel it. You know, uh, and and this is why it's important for me. I think to go for for you know the human positions you know the open human position and i like it's a female position because then other people then presidents can run uh, so that you have a sort of safety net to have enough candidates but it's, it's huge prominence every week now for norwegian football the fact you've got holland at manchester city odegaard at arsenal both going for the premier league title so they're talked about as key figures in the global game i mean talk about those players i mean interesting pathways you've got odegaard who had this absolute growth from such a young age in football, such a challenging moment. And for Haaland, this huge presence of one of the greats. What's it like when you speak to them? Well, how, how are they individually as, as players? Well, these, uh, these are, you know, uh, very normal boys to, to me. You know, it's, it's a good atmosphere in the national team. It's, uh, it's, it's down to earth, everything. It's, uh, um, yeah, very, very down to earth and uh, loose, if I can say it that way. Um, and I, I find the coach Stolle Solbakken also very good at keeping the the balance in in the team. Team is definitely the boss, uh, but he has humor, uh, and the whole group has good humor, which I really like and enjoy. Uh, of course, Arling and uh, Martin are different uh, people, but they're good friends. I have, it's a friendly environment, the whole whole team. We've never had such a big star as Arling before. So for us, it's a bit new, you know, that we've had stars, of course. But now it's, you know, every, it's gone to a new level of, of security and everything. Uh, so so we all have to adapt. But within the camp, it's it's just uh, normal normal boys uh, like, like on the women's team. So... Really pleasant, really motivating to go with the national teams is where I find my energy to, to go into different, you know, boardrooms for hours and hours. <laughs> uh, so these are energy um, fillers. And if you take Martin, who's the captain of our team, you know, he, he's, he's really, a, you know, full of integrity, uh, a player I really admire, a, a silent leader and... Uh, yeah, it's easy to use big words with big stars, and it maybe it's, sometimes it's not really filled with content. But I, it, it, you know, we followed him from teenage, and he's really, you know, what we call a full wood in Norway. You know what I mean? It's 
it's it's uh, you knock on it and it's it's real and and Martin is uh, is a, a leader and a player that regardless actually of his performance now I'm really proud to have uh, have him as a captain in the national team Lisa maybe it will change in the future hopefully it will um, but you're kind of in this unique position there are other female FA heads probably just a handful I think three uh, at most but you uh, I think Rob's question as well you are um, you've got this insight that no one else probably has because you're dealing with now multi-millionaire male footballers and in, in, you've just mentioned um, one of the most famous men in the world there, Erling Haaland, uh, in your men's national team and you also have a women's national team and you have um, you guys have been kind of pioneers as well in terms of equality uh, of national teams. But the women in terms of their day-to-day living it's completely different to the men who arrive from their millionaire contracts. Can you describe that that scenario a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, I find it very interesting, and this is this is also why I, I I feel confident with my candidacy in UEFA. You know, not that I wake up every day and feel you know I am strong. You know, I feel very weak at very many times, and it's it's a difficult environment. I know that people find me outspoken and and, and and everything and, and, and that I have to really show show my colleagues in Europe that that I'm I'm a bridge builder, I'm I'm a judge, I'm coming from a balancing position. But but uh, this it's just to to have that, you know, world where you, you balance these two worlds and done for years, I find it very interesting. It's how it is, you know, it, it it's not something I go in and fight or it's not the boys uh, mistake or, or they have not done anything wrong to make the world like this and it's very important for us to win with our men's national team and 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 revenues they're they're not the enemy <laughs> you know that we have revenues on the men's side it's not the enemy so so throughout the years the technical department in Norway and I find probably every technical department where men's and women's football are integrated you will have this a bit complex work where you you have to compare a bit because you have to compare you cannot treat a 13 year old boy and a 13 year old girl totally different it, it, it's 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 a matter of human rights it's a matter of equality your daughter and son they they, they will notice you have to have recognition and but but we know it's billions on the one side and the other side is at best you at best you can live from it maybe you know it's, so so it's it's a complex work where you have to compare a bit to you to to be political and to have redistribution but also to be very aware that we're not a equality department we're not politicians we're not taking from the men's side just to lift we we have to take what they can give without loose competition force. And we have to take enough so the women's side can can increase revenues themselves. Because real equality is when the women's side generates revenues themselves and ourselves. So this is really motivating to me. And, and what I see in the future is that the women's side will generate revenues. And, and we should just be careful to not go into that unfettered capitalism and and the destructive capitalism that that has happened on the men's side and but I do think it will be a very interesting time for women's football the next 10 years. Lisa thank you so much for joining us here on Sport Unlocked. Uh, Lisa Claveness who's running for election for the UEFA Council, president of the Norwegian Football Federation. 
in a word, what's the one thing you change in football if you are elected to the UEFA Executive Committee? Build bridges on the very, very difficult cases and have real, real transparency in decision making. Thank you very much for all your insights today. 